as I was, you know, doing what people do who are called, read the Bible, um, and I was thinking about what I would be led to share, because when you have a lot to share, the best question is, what are you to share for the audience that will be listening to what you're sharing? That's, that's the most important thing, is really not my job to wow you with how much I know, but to speak to your plight, speak to your heart, speak to your situation, and equip you with what I believe will enable you to be everything God has called you to be. And as I began to spend time in prayer, I began to see people. I, I couldn't, I can't tell you, I didn't see necessarily faces, but I saw people who uh, have been under attack. And, and, and people who've been, been putting a good front on, like, all is well. But, but deep down inside, no, oh Lord, why? <laughs> and having moments and having times where they begin questioning the things that they know about the word of God. I also saw people who have been around the things of God for a long time and honestly have begun to question how effective is the word of God. How real is this God that we're singing about, that we're worshiping, that we're talking about? And if this, this person or this individual that I saw was honest with themselves, they have questions to their core about the validity of the things in which they believe. And so I want to minister a message today that's in light of what we celebrated last weekend, which is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's one thing for Christ to raise from the dead and to be ruling and reigning today and living inside of us, but if we don't have the tools to practically access what God has given us through Jesus Christ, it means nothing to us. And so I want to encourage you. I want to, I, I, I just want to just, if, if I could just push you a little more forward, then that is all my assignment and my job this morning is today. I know that for some it is spring break, so you were just like, Lord, I'm going to go because you led me. But I want to let you know you were set up this morning for the Lord to speak directly to your situation. And if you would, go with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Now, I want to know, just by a show of hands, have you ever been at the point where you just feel like you're completely exhausted physically, spiritually, emotionally, and, and, and you're just saying to yourself, Lord, I can't take a nan another nothing happening to me right now. You ever been there? Where it seems like thing after thing after thing after thing after thing to the point that every time your phone rings, vibrates, next tail chirps, I don't know what it does, not judging if you still have one, but whatever your phone does, you are nervous because of what you might hear. And it's almost like you get to a point where you avoid people, you avoid circumstances, just so that you don't have to deal with what you believe is a negative thing that's about to happen. The danger in constantly having to deal with circumstances, tests, and trials is the temptation to lose sight that the very power of God that has been with you every step of the way will stop at any given time. 
When we say God has never left you for one moment, sometimes we believe that that is an event. So I'm going through this event, and so I know that God has promised not to leave me by myself in this event. But when we say God will never leave and has never left you for one moment, we have to make that personal and say God has never and will never leave me for one second, one nanosecond, or any other time I can think of, regardless of how you may believe you are, God is still faithful to you. Even in times where you weren't faithful to him, he is with you because you didn't get everything that you deserve to get. His mercy still in some of our bonehead mistakes came through and shielded us from the full brunt that we deserve. But if we live in this life, we live in this world, we are going to deal with test and trial. And so James chapter 1, and and just to give you a little background before I start reading at verse 1, most confused James as the writer of the epistle with one of the disciples that was Peter, James, and John. That's that's not the person that's writing James. The person that is writing James is actually Jesus' little brother. And so he was able to see Jesus for all that he was. He was able to see him at home. He was able to see him out dealing with people. He was able to know Jesus. He was able to understand the things that Jesus would say because he had the cultural and family context in order to uh, uh, interact with. Scholars believe that the book of James is one of the earliest epistles and is addressed to the 12 tribes of Israel in its fullness and completeness. So when I say the 12 tribes of Israel in its fullness and incompleteness. How many of you all know that the moment that we became born again, not only were we adopted into the family of God, but we were also engrafted into the family, so we're not his stepchildren. We are God's children. And so James, because uh, theologians believe that Jesus, of course, we can all agree, that he was the head of the church while he was on the earth, Well, they believe that when Jesus ascended, the authority, the position of leading the church fell to his younger brother, James. And so when James is writing this book, he's writing it from a perspective of being a pastor. And and when you're a pastor, you have to be balanced. And so whenever people are reading the book of James, some people say, well, there's not a lot of grace in the book of James. No, no, no. James is a pastor and understand you just can't tell folk anything because folk can just listen to any little thing you say and run off the deep end with it. So, So James was right there in the middle of the road, but the 12 tribes of Israel were now scattered throughout all of the known world. Now, part of that assignment for the people of God was to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and in the Holy Spirit and make disciples. They were supposed to go in all the world, but how many know when God tells us something, the next step for us is to then do it. And there's a lot of times that we're in church, the Lord speaks to us and we're like, man, that was great. Can't wait for the next word. And so with the tribes of Israel, they began to become complacent. They began to become comfortable in the moves and waves of Pentecost. And you'll notice that because any time in church history, church history is cyclical. And so things that have happened back in biblical times, happened in medieval times, are happening even still today. And what happens is when we are filled with so many opportunities for word, 
so many ways to get the word, we can get complacent. We don't take it as I need to be at service today because I know I can get it downloaded, but there is something that when I'm in the presence and the assembly of other brethren, there's something downloaded within me as well because I have a plethora of opportunities. And so persecution arose not because God sent persecution, but that we live in a fallen world, so persecution will eventually happen. And it was in that persecution that the 12 tribes actually got back into their purpose. See, sometimes we can't get mad at all the folks that are coming after us because when they're coming after us, it causes us to go back and think about what did God tell us to originally do? So God is not the one who sends persecution, but he uses persecution to refine our purpose. And so that's his address in James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes, which are scattered abroad. He said, what's up? Verse 2 says, count it, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various tests, trials, temptations. Count it all joy. What that means there is the same way you were counted righteous, which was before you saw it, you counted joy before you see it because they're both predicated on what Christ has already done. So he says, I can count these things that I'm dealing with as all joy because I'm not waiting for God to do anything. He's already done it. All I know to do, verse 3, he says, knowing this. The word know there and knowing is actually really interesting. The word knowing means that, and you know this from prior experience. See, what he was saying is, these tests, these trials, these things that you're going through, it's not the first time something has happened to you. It's not the first time that you had to do what you knew to do. And so what he's reminding us to do, because sometimes when we get hit, we forget all the Bible we done ever knew our entire life. And so... James had to remind us as a pastor does, as our pastor does. He reminds us each week what the word says. And he has us to go back in our mind and think about the times that God has already brought us out. To think of the places that God has already delivered us from. The fact that we're inside of a church on Sunday morning and not hung over, all the way hung over, you know, is that God has been good to us. And he says, so you know from experience, you know because you've tasted and seen that God is good, that that when your faith gets tested, it produces patience. And so patience there is the endurance of your faith. Patience doesn't mean don't do anything. And the way that we remain patient, let's go to the next verse there. It says, but let patience now have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete in everything. I want you to understand something. Faith is a gift from God to every person ever born. For example, if I was to give him my phone, that is a gift. Did he have to work for my phone? Did, did, did he have to work for my phone? No, no he, no, he didn't. Because he didn't have to work for my phone, I now am asking him to use what I gave him. 
What religion has taught us is you need to be good enough. You need to confess enough. You need to read enough. You need to pray enough. You need to not have a bad moment where something come out. You ain't know where it came from. You can't do any of that because if you don't, then you can't get what's already given. So it says let patience have this perfect work because you have a gift that's already given. And what happens when tests and trials hit us and we're reminded of the gifts that God has given us in his son, Jesus Christ, and what he's provided for us, then we're accessing and operating and using all the features of faith that have been downloaded on the inside of our spirit. So whenever God is asking us to do, to believe, to trust, all he's saying is tap into what I've already given you and understand that as long as you stay connected, as long as you stay hooked up, then you will be perfect, which means every single thing that you ever dreamed of, every single thing that you ever prayed, every single place you ever wanted to go, that you would have that in like nothing. All because of what God has already given to you. Now, I wanted to go even deeper into patience because that is a cuss word in church. (laughs) The word patience, for all of my mathematicians out here, patience equals testing and trials multiplied by time. If I give up as soon as something hits my strength, was small. And so the only way patience can be developed is based off of whatever you're dealing with for you then to bear up under. And what are you bearing up under? Right here in the Greek, the word patience signifies that it is the keeping power of God that keeps you under when stuff tries to take you over. So as long as you're able to stay underneath the power of God, what does that mean? Remain humble. Not think you know it all. Not think I read that, been there, done that. But when you remain under the power of God and you remain humble and listening to him for instructions because success in one area doesn't automatically guarantee success in all other areas. You need specific instructions. The life of the Christian was never to be placed on autopilot. Either I'm progressing or I'm declining. But when our faith is developed, there's a cut of character that is now on the inside of us that we have, and we didn't have that before that test or trial hit us. And I utilize it like this. Anybody ever cooked chicken before? All right. I was in the right church. (laughs) But even the most organic chicken specimen still needs to be seasoned and cooked properly and sit long enough in order to be properly consumed without negative consequences. What's the lesson in this? The lesson is that in your process is what you begin to now learn so that you come out seasoned to walk in your promise. 
See, if, if I don't allow chicken to sit and to cook long enough, the very thing that was designed to give me nutrition, the very thing that was designed to feed my body and to make me strong and give me the protein that I need will be the very thing that causes poisoning and have negative impacts on my life. If God gives us what we prayed for too soon, then it would destroy us. It would hurt us. Because if your character is not built and has a capacity to hold you, then all you are is another casualty for the cause of Christ. So during tests, during trials, there's character that is developing you. There's character that's seasoning you. And it's almost like a little rotisserie thing at Boston Market. But one thing, as you're being seasoned inside of the process, every time you look around, you see that God is good to you. Every time you look around, you see he's never left you. Every time you look around, you see that he's still faithful. So just keep on turning, keep on living, because every single morning there's a new mercy you haven't even imagined yet. Every single day you wake up, God wants to show you things you haven't even uttered out of your mouth yet. And so all you have to do is just sit still in the palm of his hand and let him lead you, let him guide you, let him direct you on where you're supposed to be and who you're supposed to be. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. He's a, this is another authority figure that is speaking to the church. And these are just lessons that these founding fathers of the Christian faith wanted us to know in light of the finished works of Jesus Christ. Again, James was dealing with people who were stuck in tradition. He was dealing with people who were stuck in their own ways of doing things. And it wasn't producing anything. And so he's reminding us, and, and Peter does the same thing in verse 6. 1 Peter 1, verse 6. And so he's now going to talk about, if, you, if we had time, we go back and read uh, what, what Peter said about testing and trials. But he says, in our testing and our trials in this, you can greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. I feel led to sit right here for a second. Grieved is an admission that we are emotional beings. In church, we were taught to deny our emotion. That I'm supposed to ignore my emotion and keep on moving. Faith does not mean you ignore your emotion. It means don't be moved by your emotion. And so right here he said, it's all right if you feel in some type of way about what you're dealing with. It's okay. It is not an admission that you are not saved. Amen. How you doing? Blessing, highly favor. You know you that's a lie. So it's saying even though you may feel and experience grief, and grief happens when there's a sudden change and there's a sudden loss of a relationship, of a job, an expectation that's not being met, any level of disappointment causes a level of grief, and the level of disappointment dictates the level of grief that we experience. And so what happens is it's not that the church is just filled with a bunch of sinners. That's not it. Churches are filled with a bunch of people hurting emotionally. 
And just like I can't expect you to run a mile on a broken leg, I can't expect you to love God with a broken heart. So if we're quick to judge, we don't know all the information. You can't judge something just because you can look on the outside. You can't even judge yourself. So it's, it's, it's not that you're a sinner. It's, it's not that God doesn't love you. It's, it's, it's your hurting. And if you could just admit for one moment, man, that situation bothered me. Man, that devastated me. Man, that upset me. And, and this is another thing Christians don't like to do, is to admit that you are offended. See, I was about to do an offense message one time. The Lord said, you, you, you're looking at it from the Old Testament. Because I was looking at, don't be offended, don't be offended. Don't. The, the message in the New Testament is not about don't be offended. It's saying don't be offensive. So I understand you offended. How I know you offended? Y'all ain't talking. I know you feel some type of way because you just sit on this side of the church. Now you over, I'm not looking at you, but you over there. And you have to be honest with yourself in how you're feeling. He goes on to say that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen with your natural eyes you still love, though now you do not see him, yet you're still believing. You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith and the salvation of your soul. And for years, I always wondered why in the world would anybody want to compare my faith to fire because that does not sound cool. Now, when people talk about the trial of your faith and the fire that you go through, here's religion again, that God puts you in hot circumstances so he can bring out what he desires. That is wrong. We live in a fallen world. God didn't put you in the wrong circumstance. He put you in the right world because he knew that the circumstance wasn't more powerful than who you were in the world he put you in. See, God placed you in this world for a purpose and for an assignment and for a reason. And so the things that you have gone through were to help other people to get through. And if that could have had the power to destroy you and to knock you down, it would have took you out. But it didn't. See, the very things that you, if you took a moment and thought about the things in which you've overcome, other people didn't make it out of those situations. Other people don't have the same testimony. But when you think about the goodness of God, and how God has been with you every single step of the way. That, that relationship that devastated you, that marriage that you didn't think would go wrong, it still went wrong. That job that you did everything you could, it still let you go. But God was still with you. I can think about going back to November. I was going to pick up my wife. I actually left work on time. I was going to take her to a Broadway show and traveling down 285. An 18-wheeler came and hit me and knocked me off the road. And as I'm going through the road, I could just feel and sense the peace of God all around me and after I pulled over on the side of the road I came out and said his grace is sufficient it's not about what you go through it's about who's with you in what you're going through 
And so I was able to get out that car and give God the praise without a scratch, without a bump, without a bruise, because God is on my side and I am not by myself. I know if you just took a moment in your life, you can think about what God has delivered you from. And I guarantee you couldn't just sit there and act like it's okay. But you think about how God has carried you every single step of the way. See, when the doctor says there's no cure, that doesn't move you because you have the healer. It's a done deal. It's done. It's finished. Let's walk in it. One thing I noticed about gold, though, and I went back and studied how they refined gold during that time, is that gold was placed in what was called a crucible or a metal container. And that metal container was hot because the fire was at least 1,000 degrees Celsius. It was a real hot place. And so in that tight situation, because how many know if, we, if we're, anybody ever been a pressure cooker before? In a tight spot? Pressure? Stress? See, it was in there and in those moments that the gold is being stirred and skimmed to remove any impurities. See, when you're stressed and when you have pressure and when there's a lot going on in your mind, what you need to do is go back to, Lord, what is your wisdom in this situation that you want me to gain out of this situation? And you'll realize that there are some character things that you possibly need to come up in. There's some things that you might need to, to let go. There, there might be some, and, and James goes on and talks about the reason why some prayers we don't get because we ask for our own lust and our own motives. And it's during persecution that you can refine what it is that you thought you wanted. Because how we know another praise report is the times God said no to my silly request. Some of us wouldn't be sitting with the spouse we with today. If he said yes to some of that wretchedness. Because God knew what you needed 20 years later. You were looking at she's fine, top of the line, cute face, slim way. You know that? But you don't understand that in 20 years, that boy, God knew. And as you all see, the title of today's message is Resilient Faith. Faith that's able to bounce back. Faith that when it's hit, it gets on the attack. It doesn't retreat. Why? Because it's already finished. It's already done. It's already worked out. What we feel is just the agitation of actually having to reinforce the victory. But do you know that when you're reinforcing what God has already done, it's for others to see how a person is supposed to do that. But going back to the gold that's placed in the crucible and it's being cooked under a lot of pressure, one thing that stood out to me was that even though the gold was placed by the craftsman into that hot and that tight situation. The craftsman 
never left the side of that pot. So even in the situation that you're dealing with right now, God has never left your side. You are already victorious. You are already successful. You are already healed. And as you're going through, I want you now to think about what it is that internally I need to refine and recommit to doing. Few of us in here have have grown up in the things of God, but our lives look nothing like any of the word that we heard. We just got to be honest with ourselves. We don't like the way life is right now. We might front, take a picture, but we know deep down inside we're, we're upset. We're frustrated with ourselves. That's probably why you have a short temper. It's not that you're upset with other people. You're, you're really upset with yourself because you know better. And that's not God's voice that's condemning you, saying that you're going to hell. Better get your act right. I'm checking the list, making a list, checking it twice. Going to find out who's naughty or nice because I'm coming back to town. That's not, that's not God. It's not God. What you are hearing is the Holy Spirit who's on the inside of you saying, you know you're better than that. He's saying, you know you don't have to settle for that. You know you don't have to do that. You know you're a child of God. All the things that you're searching for, I've already given to you. It's just patience to bring it out. You know that alcohol that you just keep going back to? It's, it's a cheap substitute to who the Holy Spirit, the fresh wine is on the inside of your life. See, you go to the alcohol so that you can take the buzz off, but the only thing about that wine is that it was made out of things that are dying. You know, people in John chapter 2, they talk about when Jesus was the life of the party, he brought wine to the party. When mama said, get that bottle out, Jesus said, man, let's get the party started. Turn up. But if you investigate the wine that was actually made there, the wine that was made there was made out of living fruit, fruit of life. See, the wine that we drink today is dead. And so what Jesus was saying is that the wine that you can do, what you can do in your own strength, it works for a second, but it dies eventually. If you have the wine, the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit, the anointing that I've given to you, it it stays alive because it was made with living fruit, not dead fruit. So the wine folks want to sit on and talk about, well, I can drink because Jesus can drink. Well, if you're drinking grapes, you're juicing, not drinking. So put all that Bible up because we can go there. See, let's, let's just get honest with ourselves. Let's be honest for a moment. See, this world is looking at us and not from a sense of you need to be something that you're not. No, you need to be honest with who you are. You ain't got to lie. Just be honest, like, yes, I struggle with this. But if you keep me accountable, I promise I won't struggle any longer. It's when we put on these masks and look like, oh, we've got it all together. And you know you don't. Let's just be honest. So resilience defined is succeeding, even excelling, despite incredible and difficult circumstances. See, having resilience means that you're capable of withstanding shock, 
without permanent deformation or rupture. Recently, a study was published in the New Yorker, and, it, and actually resilience is a learned trait and a learned behavior. In the study entitled, People Learn to Become Resilient, it was based off of four decades of research from a development psychologist and clinician at the University of Minnesota. And so prior to publishing his study in this particular field, because this guy is granted as the first one to really have a definitive study saying that resilience can be learned. Uh, prior to the publishing of his study, the focus in this field in dealing with resilience, they only focused on the age-old question, why do bad things happen to good people? They were trying to find out the why. This study shows you the solution. And so the only thing that science was able to give whenever people were born into tough situations, whenever people were born into tough environments was the age-old response, well, it's luck or it's because bad things sometimes happen to good people. Well, what this science now shows is that it's not so much as what happens to you, but how you respond to what happens to you. And so if resilience is a learned trait, then the question is, how can I learn it? Well, science only proves what we've had in Scripture all this time. Science is now proving to us with 40 years of data and like 687 different people studied that the way that you remain resilient is to keep your mind on things that are good, pure, lovely, and of great report. So that even when things happen, you can still see the good from it. Y'all remember when we were growing up and we didn't know we were poor? That we thought the only time phones worked were after nine? See, it's when we get inundated with all of these pictures and, and start comparing things that people can put filters on and people can change and people can Photoshop and all of these different things that we start comparing ourselves and having unhealthy comparison. No matter what you have in your life, you have just enough to be everything that God has called you to be. And so they studied four individuals in, spe in, 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 in specific and in studying those four individuals in specific, they noticed that they were born in the toughest of toughest environments. But every single one of these what they call at-risk individuals wound up not considering themselves at risk, but saying that one day I'm going to help others who they call at risk. See, if you think about where you came from, God is calling you to go back and bring up others to come with you. If you think about what you've been through, what you've experienced, what you've hurt, it gives you a heart for people who believe that there is no hope. It gives you a heart for people who say there's no way to have a good marriage. It gives you a heart for people to say they can never have anything. It gives you a heart for people to say no one likes me, no one is looking for me. But you say, look, I felt the same way at one time, but I want to introduce you to someone and his name is Jesus. And that's what causes us to be resilient even when life happens. Finding the good out of every single situation. Oh, by the Spirit of God, I see you right now, young lady. You've been 
just beating yourself up for every single one of those things that you did wrong and you've been telling yourself you're not worthy. You've been telling yourself you're not good enough. Well, that is a lie from the pit of hell because God knows where he's called you and Satan sees where you're going and he wants to cause you to give up on yourself. He wants to cause you to think that you're worthless, that you're nothing, to keep subjecting yourself to things that you wouldn't do in your right mind. But today is the last day you're going to do that. You are going to make a stand. And if any man be in Christ, all things have passed away. Behold, all have become new. We've got to lift our spiritual self-image. Because we have to lift our image of God. Let's go to John chapter 20. My whole message has just changed. (laughs) John chapter 20. And so now we're going to look at another authority when it comes to the resurrection of Christ. Spirit of God is, is here today. There's a thick cloud that's, that's in the sanctuary. And cancer is just leaving. Emotional weights are dropping. Backs are being healed. People are being filled with the Holy Spirit. See, you haven't experienced this freedom in so long. This is where God wants you to live every single day. Oh, man. John chapter 20. And again, to give some context to this, this is when Jesus officially raised from the dead. James, Peter, and now John have both witnessed a traumatic event. And that traumatic event was for James, his brother, for John, and for Peter, their leader was brutally devastated in front of them. They've seen something with their natural eyes that you couldn't explain because they knew what type of person he was. And he shouldn't have been treated like that. But when they experienced trauma, they understood that trauma is subject to triumph. That any traumatic experience in your life is only a testimony waiting to happen. But the only way that they can now actually walk in that testimony is changing their perspective or their view of what happened to them. You see, if we look at Good Friday from Thursday, it's not good. If we look at Good Friday from Friday, it's really not good. If we look at Good Friday from Saturday, it's definitely not good. But when I look at Good Friday from Sunday morning, and how Jesus rose with all power in his hand, 
and what they did to him did not work. What they did to him could not stick. What they said about him could not stay. That he fulfilled every single thing the word said that he was going to do. When they looked at that perspective, they now saw trauma turn in their favor to triumph. That nothing that happened to them was strong enough to defeat them. Because of their perspective on what happened on that Sunday. We have to change our perspective in the Christian faith of what happened with Jesus Christ on the cross. It's not about it's going to happen. It's that it already happened. And Peter was so excited and so amazed at what God was able to manifest in his life as a result of an empty tomb that in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 12 what we just went to and pulled out the translators put in different punctuation different different things to break it up for nine different verses but the original Greek manuscript noted that in 1 Peter chapter 1 that was all one breath that in that one breath, he was able to sing of the goodness of God. That in that one breath, he was able to talk about what he's overcome. In that one breath, he was able to see the end of his faith. And there is power in just one breath. In the book of Genesis, it took one breath for God to breathe life into man to be existing. But on the cross at Calvary, in one breath, Jesus said, it is finished. And there's power in your breath. There's power in every time you take in air, you're taking in God's goodness. Every time you're breathing out, you're singing his praise. And that's why the Bible says, let everything that has breath, let everything that has breath, let everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Because in your breath is so much history. In your breath is where God has brought you from. In your breath is you saying that I'm here today in my right mind. You're here today to give God the glory. You're here today to give God the praise. In just one breath. So in John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. So John now is in an old age writing his reflection on what happened at the resurrection. So we could call him Papa John here. Uh, in verse 1 it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple, third person, looky here, whom Jesus loved. Oh, really? Now... <laughs> And said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went, therefore, and the other disciple, and we're going to the tomb. And so, no, I'm just having fun with this. So watch what John says. He says, so they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter. Like, humble much? Like, <laughs> and, they, and he came to the tomb first. I guess you wrote it. All right. No judging. Uh, verse 5. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw that the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. The word saw there is a Greek word, blepo. And that word in the Greek means to see. 
It's important. I promise. I'm, I'm, I'm having fun. Let's continue reading in verse 6. Y'all like my Greek scholarly studies here? Verse 6. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen cloths, but they were folded together in a place by itself. So Jesus had home training. So um, (laughs) the word saw from Peter there is the word, I'm not making this up, the Oreo. For real, like if you got a Greek, whatever, it's literally the Oreo. Spelled T-H-E-O-R-E-O, the Oreo. Whatever, I thought it was God all in the text. (laughs) Oreos at the uh, resurrection. Um, But that word, the Oreo, is different than bleepo. John ran to the tomb, and he, bleepo, he just looked in, checked it out. Like, ah, all right, all right, that's nice. Peter, the Oreo, looked in, and he, that word the Oreo means to investigate, to examine, to check for himself. Yeah, that's Jesus. <laughs> and he looked around, and, and, and I can only imagine what was going through Peter's mind that, man, I... I I had a moment where I failed him and I let him down, but it didn't stop him from his assignment. It didn't stop him from getting up when he was good and he's not there. And the thing that I was crying about, he already took care of and he left it in perfect place as if nothing happened. The most traumatic event of my life, there's no evidence around me. And when he was investigating that, John, the bleepo, came over, and then John, the Oreo, and he investigated. And if we go on to that next verse in verse uh, 7, let's see, yep, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying, and the linen cloths, but folded together and placed by itself, verse 8, the other disciple, John, who came to the tomb first, he went in also. And he, the Oreo, investigated, and that's what caused him to believe. In order to be resilient, we have to make a decision to go all in. In order for us to bounce back from things that have hit us in life, we can't just come and observe the word and observe church because it's cool. And we can't observe, you know, just check out a scripture here and there because if we went back to James 1.8, it says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Double-minded means I'm going back and forth. Is it finished or is it not? Is it finished or is it not? But 
I have to go all in into the finished works in order for myself to believe. And, and if you're a person that is hurting today, if you're a person that is desperate today, and you're a person that doesn't know what to do, I encourage you, I invite you to go all in. Don't hold anything back. It, God is not asking you to be perfect. God is not asking you to have it all together. All he's asking you to do is just take one step and go in and you will believe. And so with everyone standing right now, there's a sweet presence that's in this room today. There are some decisions.